Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today is our final installment in our Life with Jesus series, where we are focusing on Jesus' authority in world missions. As we have seen in Jesus' instructions for making disciples, orthodoxy and orthopraxy are essential components that the church is intended on facilitating. However, if we only ever teach right thinking and right living, we will still fail at God's design for making disciples. Thanks for joining us this morning as we uncover the final ingredient in God's provision for making disciples. Well, the children's sermon illustration should really suffice, but I I thought of one for us too. I remember uh, growing up every Christmas and birthday for my dad, he had, a, had one toy in particular that he loved. My dad loved airplanes. Whether those, you remember the little balsa wood airplanes you put together? And then if you were lucky, those big styrofoam gliders, you know the kind I'm talking about? I mean, it seemed like we just had a constant rotation of those disposable airplanes to go out in the yard and just have a ball, just have a great time. And then my dad found in one of these catalogs, I think it was Toys R Us even, uh, this advertisement for something called an air hog. Do anyone remember air hogs? No? Let me tell you about an air hog. It's a kind of airplane that has a, a bladder in it for air, and you would pump it up, and it was a, a very tight reservoir that you could pack a bunch of PSI uh, air pressure in it, um, and then with a propeller, along with uh, some little uh, actuators and a radio signal, you could take one of these light planes and start the propeller with that air. Brrr, throw it and then fly it around for a couple minutes. You thought my dad was a kid again, finding one of these. Here's the interesting thing, though. If you got the thing out of the box and you got the manual, and you could put it together all the way the manual says. So... You follow the instructions, yes? And in fact, you could test all the little actuators, make sure that the ailerons and everything, the rudder, all the parts are functioning properly like they're supposed to. So it functions correctly. But if you do not put air in it, that's it. Nothing. It wouldn't work. We have been in a series uh, called Life with Jesus. I want to remind you this morning that the scope of every single one of these messages is resting on the foundation of last year's study. This is a bit of a reminder for you. All the way back to last year, 2022, our theme was King Jesus. Do you remember that? And we saw throughout the Old and New Testament, Jesus is the King. Well, this year, it's our goal to now explore every little aspect of our lives and attempt to see how is he king everywhere in our lives. And so our series here on missions asks the question, is Jesus really king in our lives here? And for this study, we have been in essentially three verses at the end of Matthew's gospel. If you have your Bibles, would you turn there with me? Um, The end of Matthew's gospel starts in chapter 28, verse 18, with Jesus saying these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which means what? Jesus is king. That's what it means. And so everything that comes from that, all of the rest of the instruction, it rests on the foundation 
of Jesus as king. My, my heart almost wants to just preach on that a little bit more. Because, you know, I feel like sometimes you're all so used to it, right? You've been to church for centuries, not centuries, how old are you guys? Decades. <laughs> Decades. You've been coming to church for so long. Of course Jesus is king, pastor. Of course. Oh, but just stop and think about the implications of what that means. Does our life really reflect that he is our Lord? Does it? Does our life? Do we truly believe that even? Because if we did, if we really believed he has all authority, well, then what can man do to you that God has not foreordained or permitted? You, you see, if he is in charge, if he truly is king, then what in the world are we afraid of? Anyways, I won't preach on that. I feel like it. But you get the point. Hopefully you, you catch it this far. The, the place that I really want us to go is in the review over the last six weeks. Because some of the key elements of our study have looked at Jesus' instruction. First off, you remember that go, as often as it, we might want to see it as a suggestion, is linked as a particular Greek constructive participle. So that it carries the exact same weight as the primary imperative verb, which is make disciples. What that means for you and I is that go is not an optional part of the story. You, you and I are tasked by virtue of being a follower of Jesus to go. Or as they say sometimes, get. <laughs> right? Get going. Get going. Now that starts right here. You, you all, by God's gifting and calling and commissioning, you are all expected, all of us, to do the work of witnessing. And then... Uh, we looked at a few other ways in which Jesus gives this strategy. He actually outlines the format of making a disciple. He doesn't leave it up to us. He, he doesn't say, figure it out. Go out there and good luck. No, he tells us exactly how to do it. Two more participles. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching to obey everything that I have commanded you. As we have looked at those two commands, I have done my part to help show you, um, I hope that you catch this, that the baptizing uh, portion of those instructions is greater than water. It's, it means far more than just having somebody dunked under the water or sprinkled or poured water one time in their life. In fact, the word baptize means to be immersed in. And the instructions of Jesus are either woefully abandoned or rejected by the disciples because not a single time throughout the entire rest of the New Testament do we see a baptism done with the formula in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not once do we see that. Every baptism is in the name of Jesus. So what does he mean? Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's what I've taught you. This means orthodoxy. Remember that word? I'm going to keep driving it home again and again and again. We, as God's people, must have a correct thinking about who God is. And by the way, it's not going to take you very long to find that there is a lot of confusion out there. There are entire groups that meet and would like you to think of themselves as Christians who have a distorted view of who Jesus is, a distorted view of who God is. And so Jesus has already told us, you, you disciple. You make disciples by immersing them in this orthodox teaching of the one true God, Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. I should have just done one finger each time. You, you get the point, right? Not three gods. The Trinitarian formulation for us is a depiction of who God is. And we must submit ourselves to that to understand it. That's called orthodoxy. But that's not enough. By the way, if you get that right, it will lead to a subsequent requirement to make a disciple. A disciple is not somebody who just has the right answers. Uh, We might call that person a convert, right? Somebody who can just give the right answers. They might believe there's a God, but they haven't let you learn how to follow God because there's a second part of God's strategy, which is not called orthodoxy. It's called orthopraxy. And, And the root part of that word, praxis, you might think of the word practice. Catch that little connection there, right? So you and I, we don't just need right thinking. We need right living. You need orthodoxy and you need orthopraxy. And so that's the second half. Teach them, Jesus says. You want to make a disciple? Teach them. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. I'm here this morning to tell you that if you do those two things, you will still fail. There's a third. And, uh, and we can find it. We, we can find it referenced in the passage that we've been studying, but we're going ex- to explore it throughout the rest of the New Testament as it expands. Look with me, would you, in Matthew chapter 28. Let's read 18 through 20. Will you follow along as I read? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Here it is. Ready? And surely I am with you always. Nobody, no amens on that. Holy smoke. Surely I'm with you always. Even to the very end of the age. I cannot tell you what kind of good news that promise is. You've been in church too long if that doesn't blow your mind. Because that is amazing truth. That is an amazing reality. That God has pledged himself to a sinner like me and you. It's amazing. Surely I am with you always. To the end of the age. This is what I want you to know this morning. First of all, orthodoxy and orthopraxy are not enough. You cannot make disciples with simple orthodoxy and orthopraxy. You need transforming power that comes from the Holy Spirit. You you and I will be like trying to... um, Make a little gadget work without batteries or make a plane that's made to fly without air. You will find yourself continually frustrated. You, you could think of the person. I, I'm, I'm certain maybe even you've experienced this with some people. Someone who, who knows all the right answers. Anybody know someone like that? Just can't teach you a thing. You know all the right answers. Or what about this? Somebody who looks really good on the outside. Right? Every time you see them. Always polished. Probably wearing a tie. I'm make sure I'm not offending anybody wearing a tie. <laughs> Suit coat, right? The, he, he, let, let me ask you this. Is it possible to look the part of a Christian on the outside and not have any transformation? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. The Apostle Paul tells Titus and Timothy that there are some people who claim to know God, yet by their deeds, 
they deny them. And so you can look good on the outside, somewhere in your life, when nobody's looking, there's no power there. There's no transformation there. And it's not simply on the side of the one who is being reached that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. You, the disciple maker, you need the Holy Spirit. You cannot make disciples without the Holy Spirit. I, that's kind of the whole sermon, so I guess we're done. Right, that's, a, that's, that's the whole thing. Uh, I, I want you to see three ingredients required here. Right? Orthodoxy is required. Orthopraxy is required. But don't miss the third. Because if you do, you will fail and you will be frustrated. You need the Holy Spirit. I want to show you some examples of this. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. This is a beautiful one that shows the dual nature that you and the person you're reaching both need. It's 2 Corinthians 1. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This third requirement to disciple-making. Hey, look, if Jesus is king, all authority, and he tells us to go, and he tells us the way to do it, the good news for you this morning is that he also gives you the power to accomplish it through the Holy Spirit. So I'd like us to look at a few observations that, um, that are going to start in this text, but they're going to be found elsewhere. So here's the question. Uh, what does the Spirit... Uh, sh- what does the Spirit showing up in disciple-making look like? i got to work on my sentence there. Uh, the f- first one I want you to see is, is in regards to teaching. Do you remember that? Teaching them to obey everything. Do you know who God gave you as a teacher? It, it, it is pastors. Pastors are teachers, but uh, greater than that, I need a teacher myself. It's the Holy Spirit. You won't understand a thing I say. Oh, boy. <laughs> If I sound continually confusing to you, there may may be a variety of reasons. I may be to blame for some of that. But it also may be that the work of the Holy Spirit needs to get a little bit better in tune. Look at this verse out of John 14. Jesus says, but the advocate, uh, your Bible may say comforter, may say helper, uh, the advocate or counselor, uh, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything I have said to you. Again, a little bit further in John, Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will, that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The very first identifier of the Spirit of God is found right here in the Great Commission. He is the teacher. He is the one who is both teaching the person that you are speaking to, and he is the one who is teaching you. All right. Good. Everybody good with that? Well, Remember, there was another part of the design. It's not just teaching. It was also baptizing. Do you think the Spirit has any role in baptizing? Let me show you um, a couple of other verses. That show us the work of the Spirit in making disciples is still following specifically in line with God's design. This from Acts 1. 
On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit has a necessary role in this larger work of baptism. Again, not just water baptism, even though we've covered that. Remember, I don't want to review all of that, but this being the initiation for disciples to come into the family of God, welcome into the church, doesn't save you, but helps identify you with that which does, which is the gospel. Here we have another verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul says, for we were all baptized by one spirit. So I just form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. So we see very clearly within the Great Commission, these participles for the function of making a disciple are being activated by who? You guys with me? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is the one who is conforming our minds to the understanding of orthodoxy. The Holy Spirit is the one empowering you and I to live rightly after orthopraxy. The Spirit of God does it all. A couple more things. This is awesome. I'm with you always. I'm with you always, Jesus says. This from John 14 again. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you when? There it is. How is Jesus with you forever? It's the, it's the Spirit of God. The Bible even says in Romans 8, that the Spirit of Jesus is what equips you to live, to please God. Jesus is with you. Jesus is fully God. And so the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, that third person of the Trinity, he has come to dwell with you forever. I'm going to continue. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus's words are being fulfilled here again with the application of the Holy Spirit. And one last one, uh, just the word evangelization. Now, we got plenty of time this morning. Plenty of time. We're just going to do a little Bible study. Uh, I'm going to put the verses up here. You may want to write them down as well. But let's ask the question. If the contention this morning is you and I cannot make disciples without the Holy Spirit, is there any evidence for that truth in the unfolding of the church? As the apostles went to make disciples, if I'm claiming you can't do it without the Holy Spirit, let's ask the question, do we see the Holy Spirit working as the church expands to make disciples? And the answer, of course, is yes. Acts 8, 17. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So be the Samaritan conversions. Acts 10, 44. This is the very first Gentile conversion. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is the work of the Spirit doing the heavy lifting in evangelization. By the way, I just want to point out, Samaria is not Judea. Gentiles are not Jews. So the very first time the gospel breaches the border of their own kind of ethnocentrism, right? Judea, Jews, it's us, not them. We hate them. It's the spirit of God crossing those borders to Samaria and now into Gentile territory. This is going to continue. Acts 11. 
uh, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them, by the way, the them here is Gentiles. If God gave them the same gift he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? A pretty honest um, confession there from a, a Jewish, a Jewish fellow, right? If God wants to save the Gentiles, who, who am I to stand in his way? And how did Peter know this? Because the Holy Spirit was doing the work. Acts chapter 13, let's see it continue. Uh, this, is, this is now missions. This is the sending of missionaries. Now, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed there to Cyprus. This one's an important one, Acts 16. A lot of confusion uh, happening right uh, before this chapter. Um, We'll cover that in our next slide. But here again, you'll see the Spirit of God at work. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That'll wrinkle your eyebrow, won't it? I I, I thought the Spirit of God wanted it to be preached everywhere. Well, he does. He does. In his own way. In his own timing. This is going to come back when we talk about application because one of the failures of the evangelical church is to try to turn the gospel into an equation. Here's how you fix a person. You just make them say this, believe this, bada bing, bada boom, you're saved. Should I do that with a Boston accent? Bada bing, bada boom. That's a, that's a problem for us. That, that we think we are able to manipulate the timing and the work of God to change hearts. Sometimes I think it's well-intentioned, right? Do you want to see your loved one saved? Yes or no? Yes. When? No. Yesterday. Yeah, I know, right? Like, yes, let's get this going. But look here, the Holy Spirit is the one who is setting the times and the places. It's the Holy Spirit who those disciple makers have to yield to say, all right, lead us where you want us to go. This is what Paul does. And so here he says, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to us in Macedonia and help us. Where do you think he got that vision from? Be more specific. The Holy Spirit. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Acts 15, um, a bunch of converts who were connected to the tradition of the Jews, they were teaching that you need to become Jewish in order to get saved. This was a big problem because Paul and Barnabas had just seen masses of Gentiles saved. Evidence with the Holy Spirit. Not Jewish. So which is it? Do you need, do you need to become Jewish or can, you, can the Spirit save you any which way? All right. This, this is the answer. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by... Is is this getting a little repetitive? Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? Every stage at which the gospel goes forth is always under the control and empowerment of God the Holy Spirit. 
everyone. And so I want you to know very clearly in our identifying the work of the Holy Spirit for making disciples, he is the one teaching. He is the one baptizing. He is the one sealing who will be with you forever. And he is the one. Amen. That's right. He is the one moving the church forward, moving disciples forward and leading and guiding them to where they should go. So what do we do with this? What, what, what can we say uh, for, for um, uh, f- finding some bearing to believe this? The first thing I want you to know is this. Only the spirit has the power to equip you to make disciples. Only the spirit has the power to equip you to make disciples. Uh, There's a tension here, however. Here's what I don't mean. I I don't mean, therefore, that you don't study. I don't mean, therefore, that you don't uh, attempt to take equipping classes. Uh, I don't mean, therefore, that you don't work to encourage one another. And you just say, Spirit will do it all. I haven't done any preparation, but God's going to speak. That that is a very kind of either immaturity uh, at, at at its best or at its worst. It's a putting God to the test. And we are commanded not to do that. So make sure you don't lose this, though, that if you go home, plug your ears to the work of the Holy Spirit and think, I'm going to get there on my own by reading the Bible. You will not, because it is only the power of the Holy Spirit that will equip you to be able to make a disciple. I want to show you an example of this. This is from uh, the end of Luke's gospel. You heard it read by Don already this morning. It says, then he opened their minds. Well, that's a work of the Spirit already through Jesus. So they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I want you to see every single part of the Great Commission in Matthew can be found right here as well. The work of the disciples to be drawn together. Uh, the teaching that they would understand so their minds are opened. The presence of God to be with them uh, through the sending of the Holy Spirit. And then the power of God to equip them to make disciples. All of that shows up right here in this text. Secondly, only the Spirit has the power to regenerate an unbelieving heart. This may be the best news and the hardest news. I know you've got loved ones. I know that there are individuals who you know are not walking with the Lord. Don't you you wish you could just grab them sometimes and be like, just see, just open your eyes. But you can't do that. It will not work. You and I have zero power that's sourced in us to regenerate someone's heart. It's like um, a defibrillator. Clear! Right? What, what, what's the work of a defibrillator? It, it's to, to do what you cannot do. Right? The, the person whose heart is stopped, you can't look at them and say, try harder! <laughs> you can't shake them and be like, I just want you to believe! I just want you to wake up. No, it won't work. They need power from outside. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. And if you have not submitted yourself to rely on God's timing, God's power, God's ability to regenerate the heart, you're going to find yourself just 
frustrated, beating on the chest of that person who is, who's dead. They have no power. Now, I know the medical professionals are going to tell me that's not what a defibrillator does. You get the point. You get the point. Right? Look at this from Romans 8. Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Bingo. Did you see it? I lost it here. There it is. The, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. it the flesh can't. Not only does it not do it, it can't do it. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed God's spirit lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit that lives in you. So it's not only spiritual deadness that the spirit comes to bring you life. That word is called regeneration. It's also resurrection, physical resurrection will come by work of the spirit. All right. Are you guys with me on those two? Those are biggies. You can't do it alone. Like you can't. And then you can't change anybody's heart. Only God can change their hearts. Third, the spirit will be with you always. We covered this already, but um, I want to highlight the word with. He's with you. He's with you. I... I, I, you and I, we might tend to want to highlight the word the always part, which I think is really great, but boy, it's just humbling to think that God would just be with me. Someone like me. That God would even love me. And would never leave me. And it's, I mean, it's not even like a buddy. Like, you guys are my friends, right? That's great. But we're talking about God. You know what? Sometimes I think if you were to go back 100 years ago and talk to the people and say, in the future, there'll be a device you can put in your pocket that has the full knowledge of humanity available at your fingertips. You imagine people would say, you are crazy, right? That's never going to happen. I mean, you, you can carry you can carry everything right with you. You have a question? Let me Google it. Anything. It's a crude illustration. It is a crude illustration, but you get the point. This is what the Holy Spirit is like. It's the power of God. The power of God with you. Better than being in your pocket. <laughs> he lives in your heart to change and transform you. Look at this again from John 14. We read it already. I'll ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Uh, two other verses that I think really bring this point home for us. Second Corinthians 1, Paul says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a, this is the word, a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The great hope of the Christian faith is resurrection. It's life eternal. You have that, if you know Jesus, you have that in spirit form right now. Your, your bodies are still going to need to be remade, though. 
That's not a bad thing. Some of you are like, tell me about it. That's not a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah. Someday, someday, when that trumpet sounds, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise. And we who are left will be transformed in a flash, the twinkling of an eye. Right? That's a a good day. That's going to come by virtue of the Holy Spirit because it's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Same thing mentioned here in Ephesians 1. Paul says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believe, you were marked in him with a seal, which is the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Just one more in chapter 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Um, How many times do we need to put it up there? You get it? You were sealed. God is with you how long? Always. All right, and here's the last one. This should blow your socks off too. The Spirit is God. The Spirit is God. Which for you and I mean that when it comes to making disciples, God wants a relationship with you in this. This This is a personal connection. This isn't God, uh, and I, I, you know what? I love those who, who are really zealous. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that his heart is for his own people, the Jews, because they are zealous, but their zeal comes from self-righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ. And there are some quote-unquote Christians. They belong to a cult. Uh, they have kingdom halls. Maybe you know them under the name of Jehovah Witness. They believe that the Spirit of God is like a force. You know, like Star Wars, you know, some of these churches, people say, uh, the spirit be with you. And you say, yeah, that's what they say in Star Wars about the force. May the force be with you. Listen, the spirit is not the force. The, the, The spirit of God is not this utility that you can wield. He's a person. He's a person with whom you have a relationship that is who the spirit of god is so i i I want to teach on that for a lot 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 longer but i hope you get the point enough that when jesus says in his commissioning surely i will be with you always even to the end of the age he's not saying surely i'll give you this non-personal force to be with you always the spirit is god and god wants to dwell with you um It is Matthew's gospel at the beginning where we get that term. Um, The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. What's that mean? That means God with us. And that's the very thing that we have uh, said to us at the end. He will be with you to the very end of the age. The writer of Hebrews says, reminding of this, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Why? Because they will all know me. Do you see the relationship component? Do you see the personal nature of God's investment to equip you and be with you to make disciples? He's not sending you out there just putting gas in your tank. He is with you doing it. It's our job to learn to rely on him. And so that brings us to application. What do we do with this? I'm fairly confident that you guys understand what God's word says. So... How do we do it? And the very first thing I want you to know is we have to see this trifold nature of God's design. God has put you in a certain place at a certain time. He has given you neighbors that I don't have. He has given you family members I don't have. 
He has given you co-workers that are unique to you, and he has put you there to be a witness. For some of us, he's also calling you to go further than Michigan or the UP or Wisconsin. And by the work of the support of the whole church, we will all be going to the ends of the earth. But when you go and how you make a disciple must be understood in the strategy and design of the creator. You must focus on orthodoxy. You must focus on orthopraxy. That's the, that's the work of the church. And then you must know that those two alone are not enough. You must see and invite both for you personally and for the person you're speaking to the empowering, transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So, number one, you need to go make disciples. But as you do, capture this threefold strategy of God. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, right thinking, right living, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. You guys with me on that? All right, and then lastly, just two aspects. It's really one. How do we do this, Pastor? Well, you pray. That's how you do this. Uh, but before I witness to somebody, maybe that's that family member, that person who just, you know, they're not walking with the Lord. All right, well, before you go to the reunion, before you call them up on the phone, before you go sit in their living room, you should pray. There's two things you should pray. Number one, pray that the Spirit would change the hearts of those you minister to. The Word of God says that He has mercy on whom He has mercy. And so we are reliance is on him. Pray that he would show mercy. And then secondly, pray that the Spirit would change you and equip you. Sometimes it's easier for us to think this one, right? Sometimes it's like, yeah, Lord, work on them. They're so crummy. They need so much help. What a mess. God, you got your work cut out for them. Whoo, good luck. Right? That isn't, isn't that easier for us just to focus on them without remembering, oh, wait, I'm a mess too. Oh, I got all this extra baggage of what I think needs to be done and how I can maybe try to manipulate God into catching them. Oh, Lord, I, I need to come and I need to submit myself to you. I need you to be the power that transforms me. Now, I would imagine for many of us, it's not a concern of feeling like you have too much to say. That is my problem. I always have too much to say. I would imagine for you, sometimes you might think, I don't even know what to say. I, I, I don't even know the right words. Lord, send someone else. Right? Does anyone feel that ever? Listen, this one's for you then. This is for you right here. Don't miss Jesus' words. Don't miss the beauty of his promise when he commissions his disciples. He concludes with the beautiful promise Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.